What up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 171. You heard that right, episode 171 of Combo's Court. And I am Combo. Punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. Rate and review wherever you listen to Combo's Court. And share this episode with a friend. We here at Combo's Court would greatly appreciate it. Today's show, Dave Schilling joins in. Dave is a former writer for WWE and formerly worked with ESPN and The Ringer as well. You could find Dave on Twitter at Dave underscore Schilling. That's D-A-V-E underscore S-C-H-I-L-L-I-N-G. You know you could find me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Uh, Dave Schilling has worked with ESPN, Fox Sports, Bleacher Report. He covers sports, entertainment, and sports. I wanted to start with your thoughts on Drew Brees, the flag comments, his multiple apologies. His wife actually apologized as well today. Well, I mean, I think uh, that's just who he is. That is that is his um, his culture and his background. And it says you don't you don't kneel for the flag. You don't protest the flag. You you need to care more about your country than than anything else. And I, I get it. I understand that. But I think this time it's important to reconsider your preconceived notions. And I hope that you know, Drew Brees and, and and other people like like him start to see that there's a different way to look at the world. Hopefully now that people are seeing what is wrong with the world, what is broken about our law enforcement, that we can, um, we can move on and we can make a better world. And, and, and I'm, I'm optimistic and I think apologizing was the right thing to do. Dave, you're optimistic. Um, I wanted to see if you were optimistic about all the protests that are going. Do you believe that this will lead to real change? I think it has to. I don't think we have a choice. You know, we have uh, people are upset. People are upset in a way that I've never seen them upset before in my life. You know, there's an there's a, there's a frustration. There's a powerlessness, and people are trying to take back some power and, and trying to to fix things that have been broken long before I was alive. Um, I think I think this isn't going to end until it does change, which is why I'm very optimistic that things will change for the better because people are not going to be satisfied. People are not going to go back to their lives and just accept what was accepted for decades. People are going to demand it, and uh, hopefully they continue to do it peacefully and um, that we get uh, the better world that we deserve. I'm with you. I'm with you, Dave. I'm optimistic as well. Dave, I wanted to shift to you. Do you, do you cover sports entertainment or sports more for the most part or all of it i i mean i do a lot of different things uh i started in journalism covering politics covering a lot of stuff i worked at vice first oh wow okay uh, and that's where i got started and then i went to grantland went to espn um and was there for the last year of grantland and was doing mostly entertainment but i did some sports stuff too and i've always liked both i've liked everything I, I have a lot of different interests so covering sports is more fun because you get to go to the games <laughs> i get to go i got to go to some of the biggest sporting events of the last 
five years. You know, I got to be at Kobe's last game. I got to be at wow. seven of the NBA finals in 2016. I got to be at the Kobe's Jersey retirement ceremony. I got to do a lot of really amazing things um, that you wouldn't otherwise get to do unless you have a lot of money to buy a ticket or you're a journalist. And so being a part of those big moments was what I think made sports the most appealing option. Yeah, Dave, you know, it's funny because I'm over 160 podcast episodes in and I don't think my listeners realize how much I was into wrestling when I was a kid. What are your earliest recollections of wrestling and how did you begin to cover it? Yeah, um, I mean, I think the first first thing I remember about wrestling is is um, Macho Man Randy Savage getting bit by... Uh, Jake the Snake. Jake the Snake, Robert yeah. the Snake. Yeah, right. I remember that very vividly. And just, I was really disgusted and horrified and scared for Macho Man and for Elizabeth. And I was hooked from there, you know, that was kind of such an amazing moment of, of, of high drama. And so I started watching wrestling pretty much religiously from there. I went in and out of fandom, as most people do. You know, if you are really into something that's kind of nerdy or kind of esoteric, there are periods of your life where you'd rather go out and date or you'd rather go to parties or something than stay home and watch wrestling or Star Trek or whatever it is. Um, but then, you know, once I started to develop as a, as a writer and then a journalist, um, it seemed natural because there aren't a lot of serious journalists writing about wrestling. It's, it's a lot of sort of gossip blogs and, and, and um, rumors and, and, you know, kind of hearsay, but there isn't a lot of, you know, real commentary about it that elevates the sport into something a little classier. So I started covering it. I started doing podcasts about it, you know, at the ringer, I did the Mass Man show for a couple of years. Uh, was that Bill's idea to start covering wrestling? Well, wrestling was being covered at Grantland um, long before I started. I okay. Was I was only there for 2015. So, okay. Uh, you know, he hired David Shoemaker, who had been doing the um, Dead Wrestler of the Week blog at Deadspin mm-hmm. under, the, under the pseudonym The Mass Man. I hired him to both do graphic design and to write about wrestling. He tried to get Dave Meltzer, who's kind of the, the guru of, of pro wrestling journalism, to do stuff. Um, and then when The Ringer started, um, they had to start a new, a new wrestling podcast. Um, Shoemaker was obviously coming over to The Ringer, and they needed a co-host, and they kind of cycled through a couple different people. And eventually, it was just obvious that I was going to be the co-host because I was willing to show up every Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever it was to the, the, the lot, the studio lot where uh, the ringer is and, and record a podcast every week. So I just kind of fell into being the co-host of that show. And then from that, I got you know some notice and ended up applying for a job writing w- for WWE. So I, I got to write professional wrestling, which was kind of a dream come true. Wait, you covered the sport or you wrote for WWE, like the storylines? I, I, bo- I did both. Okay, that's interesting. I wrestling, and then I was hired by WWE to write the storylines. What year was that? That was last year. That's interesting. You know, Dave, WWE was deemed early as an essential business in Florida. It was. How was the product after that transition? And oh, how do you I, think it will look with basketball coming up? I think it's gotten much worse. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, wrestling is one of those things that needs a crowd. It's not okay. just 
better, it's necessary. Right. Because the wrestlers feed off of the crowd's energy. The, cr- the booing and the cheering of, of the characters is, is what um, tells you as the audience who's good and who's bad. Uh, it's just not the same. It's, it's like um, being the only person in the room at a play. Like if you were going to go see Hamilton and they're like, we're just going to perform Hamilton for one person and that's you. It's not really the same. I mean, it could be okay, but it would be weird. But with wrestling, it's like going to a play where you're supposed to cheer and boo the characters. Like if, there's, if you're supposed to participate in the show the way that wrestling fans participate in the show, and there isn't that, it's just a totally different thing. And I think it's just not been good since, since they started running shows without fans. Now, basketball, hockey, soccer, maybe one day baseball if they can figure it out. I think it'll be fine. I mean, I watched Korean baseball um, on ESPN, and it was still baseball, even though there's nobody in the stands. Um, I didn't care if there was, a, you know, cheering or anything, because I'm watching the game. I didn't care that it was in Korean. <laughs> I just wanted to watch baseball, because baseball right. isn't baseball doesn't need a crowd. I can go play baseball. I can watch somebody play baseball, and it, it can be deadly silent. But if I go to wrestling and nobody's cheering, it's just two dudes running into each other and like doing splits in underwear. It's just strange. I don't like it. <laughs> right. Right. You know, I've been looking for Korean basketball because I've heard it was on a channel. Um, I'm trying to figure out which one because I'm, I'm interested in that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, it'd be fun to watch you know, the game played in, in different cultures. It is slightly different. Baseball certainly is different in Korea than it is the united states so i'm sure basketball is equally as different dave i wanted to ask you this uh, i was fan i was a fan of hogan i was a fan of stone cold not as much with the rock but out of those three who do you feel had the highest peak i mean that's a really important difficult question to answer. <laughs> uh, it's it's the it's i think an, the eternal debate now with professional wrestling fans it's like who had the best run of those three guys because The Rock was popular at the same time as Austin. And they were both kind of running at the same time in terms of like who had the best merchandise sales, who was the most popular, who got the biggest pops when they came out, and all that stuff. Rock obviously has gone on to have a massive mainstream career where he's arguably one of, if not the biggest movie stars in the world, at least in terms of rec- recognizable um, name value and that kind of stuff. I, we can't count that. <laughs> I'm not going to count what The Rock has done after wrestling as to whether or not he's a more popular, successful wrestler than Stone Cold Steve Austin. Hogan, obviously, is the you know, biggest name of his era. And I think you know, there's nobody except for maybe Ric Flair who was as big of a draw as Hogan in the 80s and early 90s. And Hogan obviously brought wrestling out of you know, kind of um, less than desirable arenas into a very kind of mainstream um, uh, mainstream spot in American culture. So Hogan deserves a lot of credit, again, despite the things that he did after wrestling. I, I, I think I have to go with Steve Austin. Really? I think I have to go with Steve Austin because Austin had multiple years on top before The Rock became popular. Right. Um, when Rock really hit his peak, Austin was still there. Um, Austin comes back, 
and then they have their huge WrestleMania 17 main event, sell out the Astrodome, one of the last big sporting events in the Astrodome. That was a huge show. But I think Austin is probably going to be remembered more than Hogan. Um, I think that his peak of popularity was, was so huge that they were the biggest show on cable TV every week, drawing seven, eight, eight million people every week to watch pro wrestling. Um, he was making millions of dollars. Uh, he was competing not just with other wrestlers, not just with other wrestling companies. WWF and Steve Austin were competing with movies and, and the beginning of the internet and uh, other television shows. And the WWF in the, in the late 90s and early 2000s was trendy. It was cool to like it. It was, it was one of the biggest right. entertainment brands in the world at that point. Um, and that was all Steve Austin. WWF in the 80s was huge, obviously. Yes. There were fewer things for it to compete with from a pop culture standpoint. Right. Movies and their TV shows. But now it's, important, it's important to note that both Hulk Hogan and Steve Austin were before the social media era. Exactly. Um, yeah. That, that is another thing that kind of cuts the audience. Right. Separates the audience. So, you know, you, you probably say now the biggest wrestling star in, in the world is Becky Lynch. Um, and Becky Lynch became so successful because of her social media presence, because she was able yeah. to engage people on the internet. Um, would Stone Cold Steve Austin have been as big if he came out today? I don't know, because I don't know if he would be able to engage the audience on social media. Probably, because talent and charisma are timeless. Um, right. So I'm sure he would have been big, but I think every top star is the right star for that era. And I think, you know, Austin was the right star for the 90s in the same way that Hogan was the right star for the 80s and Becky Lynch is the right star for now. And, and Cena was a star for the 2000s. You know, it's just, it happens because... It's all about timing. It's timing and the culture and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's crazy. The difference between Hogan and Austin is that Hogan was almost the star. I mean, he had a few different characters before him that not a lot of people know about. But he was really like kind of, he was a star right away. Steve Austin went to the WC, like when he was in the NWA and WCW. And he even actually, I think he did some work with ECW as well. Um, he was like a mid-level star. Like he wasn't Stone Cold Steve Austin yet. So he really took that road to get to, to Stone Cold, you oh, know? Yeah. Austin, Austin did not explode out of, out of the scene. It was a right. long time being different characters and trying to find his way in the world. Hogan had the same thing though. Hogan went through a lot of different characters in Japan and, and that's uh, true. You know, I felt like, I felt like Steve Austin's journey was longer though. Right. Before superstardom. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah. The difference I think between Hogan and Austin is Hogan comes up during the height of the territory era in professional wrestling when he could go to the AWO and then leave the AWA territory to go to New York to go to the WWF. And he's a totally different character. You know, he, nobody knows him from the AWA. Right, right. Have, if you lived in Jersey, you didn't get the AWA unless yeah. you had ESPN. If you live in Jersey, you get the WWF on MSG Network or whatever. If you live in Atlanta, Georgia, you get WTBS and you get Georgia Championship Wrestling on Saturday nights. Uh, so you see Ric Flair and you see Arn Anderson and you see Sting and you see Lex Luger and you see all those guys. 
So because the industry was so bifurcated and separated, you know, Hogan could toil in Japan or he could toil in, in uh, Milwaukee and, and Minnesota and the AWA and be totally fresh and, and new in the WWF with Steve Austin. Stone Cold Steve Austin was on TV earlier in his career. He was on WCW right. Saturday Night. He was working with Ric Flair. He was working with... Well, he was, always, he was, he was also on a tag team. Yeah, he was in the Hollywood Blondes with, uh, right. with Brian Pillman. Right. So he was exposed. He was out there on national television every week. Right. Hogan was not on national television every week. So when, Hulk, when, when the audience, or when Vince was ready to push Hulk Hogan... The, the audience had never seen him before, really, uh, except for you know, his brief run as a heel in, in the WWF. But, I mean, that's neither here nor there. Austin was someone who had been exposed and exposed and exposed and finally caught on with that character once he got some control over his creative. Hulk Hogan is probably the worst wrestler when you talk about technical wrestling out of the three. Because the Rock, the Rock and Stone Cold, like, they were pretty good wrestlers. Hogan was the least athletic of the three, but he didn't have to be athletic. Right. The wrestling business has only sped up every single year, right? Right, you right. Watch Hulk Hogan's famous match with Andre the Giant at WrestleMania three. You're like, oh, this is a, this is the biggest wrestling match of all time, and ninety thousand people in the in the Silverdome, and what a huge match! It broke pay per view records and closed circuit records all over the place. It's boring. <laughs> it's really boring. Uh, right. There's not a lot. It's a lot of bear hugs and, and Hogan getting his back scratched and stuff. Like, it's very dull. He didn't have to do a lot because the audience expected him to not have to do a lot. It was a very clear formula. And I wouldn't say that Hulk Hogan was a bad wrestler because you can watch Hulk Hogan working in Japan. And you can see, oh, he could do stuff when he was younger, before his back started to go before his knees started to go he could work he just didn't have to so a lot of wrestlers now push themselves really hard to be the most athletic the most gifted the most versatile in terms of their in-ring work and that's kind of bret hart doing that and rick flair making actual wrestling and work rate important but in the wwf the important thing is the crowd leaves happy. <laughs> Doesn't matter if Hulk Hogan did seven moves, three moves, or one move, as long as he does the move that they want to see him do and he wins the match. That's what matters. And Hulk Hogan worked as hard as he had to, not as hard as he wanted to. You know, he only had to work that hard to, to make millions of dollars. And that's all the crowd wanted from him. Right. So he looked, and as the business started to go away from him, and guys like Rey Mysterio, Dean Malenko, uh, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Jericho start to come up, that the business starts to speed up. And he's uh, you know, seeing his drawing power diminished every single year until he has that big you know, return to WWF run where he works with, with Rock at WrestleMania 18. Well, NWO was huge, right? Yeah, well, obviously, the NWO was massive, and it changed the business as much as Steve Austin did. But that was right, a run right. that, had, that, ran its, that ran its course. Because eventually, right. the, the novelty of Hulk Hogan being a bad guy wore off. The, business, the working of the business started to speed up, and so he couldn't compete with Billy Kidman or with Jericho or with Eddie Guerrero or, or any of those younger, smaller guys. And now, yeah. 
now wrestling is all small guys and it's all people doing flips. It's all athleticism. It's all high spots. So Hulk Hogan, if Hulk Hogan started in wrestling today, if he started wrestling today, same thing, he's you know, in his early 20s or whatever and starts wrestling today, as opposed to in the 70s. If Hulk Hogan started today, he'd have to be Brock Lesnar. He would have right. to be able to do a, a shooting press, which Brock Lesnar used to be able to do. You know, when Brock Lesnar first came into the WWE, he was doing all kinds of moves and he was bumping all over the place. He wasn't doing what he does today because Brock Lesnar only has to work as hard as we demand he has to work, you know? It's the same thing as Hogan in the day. It's like, I come in and do the moves that they want me to do, and then I go home. But if Brock Lesnar started today, he'd be bumping all over the place. It's just the nature of the beast, you know? Yeah. What do you feel ECW's role was bringing in the smaller guys and just its impact in wrestling in general? Because I was really into that when I was younger. They used to actually have it on on the MSG network, which was the local New York network. But what are your thoughts on ECW? ECW was the most influential thing of, of everything that happened it was crazy it, it was, was crazy it was the, the thing that changed the entire business because before ecw you wouldn't have had the nwo you wouldn't have had austin you wouldn't have had rock you wouldn't have had any of those guys because ecw moved wrestling from the kids stuff from you know bright colors and pg content to you know hard wrestling content where there was lots of blood there was lots of violence there was lots of sex and there was lots of profanity right cool like they would have you know rob zombie songs on you they would have uh you know in wa songs on ecw like it was it was edgy and it was hardcore literally and um you wouldn't have had austin without ecw you would never be wouldn't have had the nwo because it. so you think ecw brought in the attitude era Yes, there would be no attitude era without Paul Heyman. And I think if anybody says that that's not the case, they're lying. Because ECW was doing edgy adult content when the WWF was doing um, wrestling garbage men and WCW was doing Hulk Hogan versus um, the shark and and the Dungeon of Doom. Like, that's just a fact. Like, watch all three of those products in the same year. If you watch a WWF Monday Night Raw, a WCW Monday Nitro, and an episode of ECW Hardcore TV from 1995 or 96. Tell me who got the idea for the Attitude Era. Tell me who came up with that. It's obviously Paul Heyman. It's obviously ECW. To say otherwise is just flat out lying to yourself. Paul Heyman tried to scale it and make it, have it compete with WCW and WWF, but it really never got to that level. It wasn't pop- possible. Right. Because ECW's whole point of being was as a, as a um, response to how juvenile wrestling was, how silly wrestling was. It was a response to that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> as soon as everybody becomes that, what is the point of ECW? Right. What you can do is water it down and get it on cable and try and you know, sell tickets for that. But if ECW can't be more extreme than the WWF or WCW, then it is completely irrelevant. So there was no way it was going to last longer than what it did. It was destined to fail. 
And that's fine because it, somebody had to come along and move wrestling in that direction for it to survive. Do you feel like it'll ever get back to the Attitude Era? No, no. Never? Because they say, they say, you know, that um, trends go full circle, you know? I have heard that, but I, I think the, the, the problem with, with that is the reality of how much scrutiny there is on content now, how much um, sort of um, attention is paid to uh, politeness and political correctness. Uh, and I think rightfully so, you know, we're not trying to offend people. People don't, I don't want to offend someone. Right, <laughs> There's right. There's a lot of stuff on ECW, on, on old WWF Monday Night Raw episodes that are horribly offensive to a lot of different people. Right. I think that's okay. And I, I would hope that you know, people would agree with me that it's not okay to make fun of trans people. It's not okay to make fun of LGBT people in general. It's not okay to make fun of little people. It's not okay to make fun of you know, people for the race or, or the, whatever. Right. Do you think it's the same for movies? No, I don't think so. I think that movies, unfortunately, or not unfortunately, but unfortunately for wrestling, are, are treated differently than wrestling because movies are mainstream entertainment and wrestling will always be a niche. Wrestling will always be a curiosity. And, and so scolds and, 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 and moral, moralists are always going to come for wrestling first because it is not something they understand. Movies they get. And movies carry ratings. Movies require you to pay a ticket to go. Wrestling is on free, free TV. It's got all kinds of sponsors and it, it lives and dies on sponsorship, advertising revenue. Um, unlike a, a movie um, where you buy a ticket and you go and you leave, you don't have to sell ads in a movie. You can, but you don't have to. It's the same ads on wrestling. So I think people are, are, especially now, when we're all really thinking about um, being better to each other, being kinder to each other. Yes, yeah, 100%. Seeing people going there. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Uh, speaking of movies, Dave, what do you feel the future is for movie theaters? I don't think there's much of <laughs> Uh, a future past, I guess, the next 15, 20 years. But um, it does seem to me that the logical uh, next step for movies is being bought by movie studios. Um, in, in Los Angeles, Netflix bought a, an older theater called The Egyptian. Okay. Um, so they're going to be showing not only older movies, you know, repertory movies from the past, um, but they're also going to be showing Netflix movies. Uh, AMC is teetering on the edge of bankruptcy. AMC is the biggest movie theater chain in America. If AMC goes bankrupt, who's the most logical company to buy a theater chain? A movie Netflix. studio. Netflix, Amazon, right, right. Whatever, Disney. Um, this was an illegal business practice for decades. Only recently has the Supreme Court um, overturned that rule. And now you're allowed as a movie studio to own your own movie theater. Because it, it, for the longest time, people said, this is, um, this, is, this is a monopoly. You're owning not only the product, you're owning the distribution of the product. It is a monopoly. You can't do that. So all the movie studios that owned their own theaters had to sell them off. So in Los Angeles, on this one street in downtown called Broadway, the largest uh, concentration of pre-war movie theaters in the world, um, all these old movie theaters have the logos of the studios on them. That one, of the, one of these old theaters uh, is now a diamond exchange 
And it used to be the Warner Brothers logo on the front marquee, and then they turned it into a diamond. But at one point, it was owned by Warner Brothers. That we're going back to that. We are going back to the consolidation of the movie business. And I think AMC is going to get bought by Amazon or Apple or somebody like that. And you're going to start to see their movies in their theaters and other, other companies having their own theaters. Do you feel there's a way AMC could pivot and make it work? No, 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 no. I, they, 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 it's going to be a long time before we really get back to full capacity movie theaters until there's a vaccine. And even then people are going to be. I think, or, or if ever, right? Or if ever. Right, exactly. So right. I can see I, it's going to get back to, to regular movie going at some point. But I don't think AMC has enough cash on hand to survive. You know, movie theaters are opening in L.A. or they're, they're going to be allowed to open in California, I think, this weekend. But no one's, there's no movies yet. There's yeah, no and movies. also people, people rather be outside, I think. I don't know. Exactly. It's you know? We're outside. Yeah, exactly. It's, it just, it's yeah, it's nice. It's nice over there outside, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's 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 what I think about movies. Is this is gonna they're just gonna be bought by big companies. Well, back to wrestling, but not really. Um, wrestling had its problems with steroids, but how do you feel sports would look if they legalized steroids in sports? Probably not that much different than it looks now. <laughs> to be perfectly <laughs> honest. I don't know if that's a that's a provocative answer or if it's just the truth. But um, yeah, why so? I think I just think that it's more common than we know. Okay. I think I think there's there are certain people who are able to circumvent the testing and are able to do what they need to do to to remain healthy. That's all. I think it's, you, I don't think it would be that different because there's still going to be the same side effects. A lot of people are not going to do it. You know, it doesn't. Taking a uh, human growth hormone doesn't make you a better basketball player. It doesn't make you a better baseball player. Uh, you know, LeBron James could take all the HGH he wanted tomorrow. He'd still be LeBron James. He's not going to be better than LeBron James. You know, you have to be skilled to be good at a sport. So I think it would be different in no sense, not at all. No, no one's going to get as big as Barry Bonds again. No one is going to get as big as Mark McGuire. This is not tenable. Yeah, I I think, I think I think people equate I think people equate steroids to how big somebody is, but I'm sure there's plenty of people on steroids that aren't looking like Hulk Hogan out there. You know, it's exactly. there's a lot of there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to steroids. That's for yeah, sure. It's not about just size, right? It's it's about being able to heal faster. It's right. About, it's about being more explosive. It's not necessarily just about being gigantic. Dave, um, you mentioned Kobe earlier, um. Rest in peace, Kobe. What is your favorite Kobe moment ever? Great question. Um, game 7, 2010, probably. And this is a weird one to say because he had a terrible game from a, from a stats perspective. He had a very bad game. And, and no one would, would, would argue with me about that, I don't think. that he had a, No one would say he had a good game in Game 7 against the Celtics. Right. But I will say it was my favorite Kobe moment because one, we beat the Celtics. I'm a Laker fan. I've been a Laker okay. fan for, for decades. Um, we beat the Celtics. But also, it was a moment where he was willing to step aside. Kobe had always been considered the ultimate ball hog and, and opportunist and, and right. a selfish player, a player that didn't make his teammates better. Well, he, in that game, 
I think made his teammates better because he did, he knew what he had to do in that moment to win the game. Right. He knew that if he if he pushed and he tried to to take every shot, that they were going to lose. And he just wasn't feeling it that night. You know, I think it's a superstar. You have to accept that. Kobe felt it more often than he didn't. <laughs> and I think you know right. his his, uh, his uh, shooting percentage and his usage rate would would prove that he felt it more often than he didn't. But that night he just didn't feel it. And the, there's that that three pointer that basically sealed the game for the Lakers that Meta World Peace hit back when he was <laughs> on our test. Yes, sir. And I remember the press conference. After the game, he's got his, his championship hat on, and he's so excited. And he said, he passed me the ball. He just kept saying, he passed me the ball over <laughs> and over again. He's so amazed that Kobe passed him the ball. And that, right. that pass might have been as important as any basket that Kobe scored because that was the shot that ended that basketball game and ended that series and got Kobe his fifth ring. Uh, and I think that fifth ring probably meant more to him than any of them maybe except the first one because that was the one he got one more than Shaq. Um, if we want to you know, dig up that, that rivalry again, but he beat the Celtics and he, he exercised the demons of 2008, which I think probably was a painful experience for him. It's getting that, getting, dragging that team back to the finals and finally, you know, being able to get there on his own or at least without Shaq and then just getting drubbed in game six, just destroyed and game six um, was not a fun experience if you, if you go back and watch that game and watch his body language. So being able to, to come back and beat them at home and to get the fifth one, I think it was a big deal, but he knew what he had to do and he knew he had to, he had to step aside and let other guys, let Lamar Odom or Powell or, or, or our test, you know, right. do what they had to do to win that basketball game. Right. Dave, great stuff, man. It was great talking Kobe with you. Um, and it was great talking wrestling with you as well. This is actually the first time we really got to dig into some wrestling. After a lot of episodes of Combos Court, we've been doing this for quite a while. I never had to got the chance to talk wrestling. Um, I know you have a new podcast out. It's so te- it's called, yeah, yeah, so tell us more about that and where we could find you on social media. Yeah, it's yeah, it's called Full Court Chat. It's a it's a comedy podcast, actually. It's a comedy sports hybrid podcast where I interview uh, comedians and improv actors who are playing characters. So it's, it's, uh, I have somebody who does a Steve Bartman impression. We have a Steve Bartman. We have, you know, just lots of people coming on and doing kind of these fun characters and I'm interviewing them in character as though it's real. And uh, I think it's really funny. And, uh, you know, with with no sports going on right now, hopefully it entertains people. So it's all on, on every, um, every podcast platform you can think of apple google spotify all that stuff and you can find me on social media at dave underscore shilling dave great stuff you're always welcome back on the show please stay safe and let's talk soon that's good man thanks so much anytime thanks dave thank you for listening to combos court punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already and big thanks to dave for joining in we appreciate you Combo Nation, let me know how you feel about this episode right in the comments section of your Apple Podcast app. Rate and review wherever you listen to Combos Court and share this episode with a friend via social media or word of mouth. Be on the lookout for episode 172. Combo out.